Good morning. I'm Mary Carroll, and the scripture this morning is from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the good will of all people. Day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. God, Holy Spirit, come to us, come among us. Come as the wind and cleanse, come as the fire and burn. Come as the dew and refresh. Convict, convert, and consecrate many hearts and lives to our great good and your greater glory. Amen. So today's scripture passage comes to us from the Acts of the Apostles. It's like the sequel to Luke's gospel, Luke's biography of Jesus. It narrates the story of the early church that sprouted up following Jesus' death and resurrection. Now before we look directly at today's passage, it's always helpful to know what happens just before it. His followers have, been, have seen Jesus raised from the dead. They've seen him ascend to heaven. Uh, the Holy Spirit is blown in like a hurricane, falling on each of them like tongues of fire, shoved them out onto the street where they somehow have the ability to speak in the languages of their multi-ethnic hearers. And then what happens next is every pastor's dream. Peter, Jesus' right-hand man, preaches this amazing sermon to this crowd of onlookers. They're so moved that they repent, and over 3,000 people are baptized that day. I mean, here I thought we were doing pretty good at the Easter Vigil. We had nine baptisms, but 3,000 after one sermon. I guess I have to, you know, maybe I need a little more continuing education time to work preaching, and then, you know, we'll, we'll gradually we'll work our way up from nine to 3,000 uh, over time, I guess. I mean, it's a lot of big stuff that happens, isn't it? I mean, there's the flashy miracles, 
Yeah, but just imagine 3,000 people down at the estuary in Courtney. You know, aside from being every preacher's dream, this is the formation of a huge, energetic, vibrant movement. It's, it's a movement. It's a movement. Which makes today's scripture all the more surprising, really. Resurrection, ascension, Holy Spirit explosion, baptism of thousands, and then what? Everybody came together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The apostles' teaching meaning the story of Israel culminating in the death and resurrection of Jesus and its meaning for the world, fellowship, hanging out and sharing life together with fellow disciples of Jesus, breaking bread, shared meals, but there's also the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, and praying together using the ancient patterns of God's people. Okay. Like you've got miracles, you've got 3,000 people so far, a huge contingent of divinely inspired, zealous religious folks gaining momentum. Imagine all the good that you could do. The world's needs changing. Let's form a nonprofit devoted to relieving the root causes of society's ills. Speak out, protest the Roman occupation. A few more barn burning sermons like that and baptismal campaigns. You could even start a revolution, take hold of the levers of political power, and finally overturn the unjust system and make a true needed difference in people's lives. You could do that. But instead it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This guy goes through all the trouble of being raised from the dead, taking his place at the cosmic throne of God, sending his own presence by the Holy Spirit, miraculously converting thousands. You could do anything and yet you've chosen to tell Bible stories, hang out, eat dinner, and pray. It sounds like a bit of a missed opportunity. To me, you think that there would be more to it than that. But you know, the God of the Bible tends to work in ways that surprise us. Think about God calling two 90-somethings named Abraham and Sarah to be the parents of a great generation or a great nation. Think the youngest brother, Joseph, sold into slavery, who ends up saving the entire region from a famine. Think of tiny little David with his similarly tiny little rock and sling, slaying Goliath. Think of an unwed, pregnant teenage mother named Mary, who generations now call blessed through the relatively simple act of carrying a baby named Jesus to term. Think about a Jewish peasant on a cross. As the Apostle Paul says, God's power is made perfect, not in flash and brute strength, but is made perfect in weakness. Salvation, God's work in healing the world and our lives is, more often than not, small scale. It's a small scale salvation. 
And really, that's what we see in the book of Acts. Small groups of people gathering together in the name of Jesus, hearing and teaching the story and way of God's grace, the unmerited one-way love of God that we meet in Jesus, eating and spending life together, and the prayers. <laughs> I just love, it's almost like the Google, you know, the prayers. Praying for one another in the church and outside of it. We're told that when people gather together in these very simple ways, God does stuff. Awe came upon everyone, we're told, on account of the many signs and wonders performed. It says that people who, people who had sold their possessions to support members who had less, they worshipped together, they ate together with glad and generous hearts, and on account of their sense of shared love and community, the people all around them thought highly of them, and it says, day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. I mean, this isn't exactly how you'd expect change to come if God had God's way. God's like the creator of the universe. But here, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is being channeled into people's lives which isn't to say that God doesn't work in the big picture or that big stuff isn't important. It is. But the Bible says that this is where it all starts. The scale is small, but this, according to Scripture, is one of the main ways that salvation comes. Small-scale salvation. You know, that's our tagline for today, small-scale salvation. This past week, um, you'd know if you received the newsletter, but this past week I was in Seattle for the Inhabit Conference. And this is a gathering of hip, mostly progressive evangelicals. You know, I felt, I just, I, you know, I walked in, and I'm like, I'm not cool enough to be here. Uh, you know, I have to get a, a nicer scarf. Um, <laughs> one of those page boy hats, something like that. Um, well, most of them are definitely interested in broader political issues. They come together of a con common interest to follow Jesus in their own neighborhoods. You know, where the most prominent Christian voices in the U.S. tend to be focused on big picture national politics and policy agendas, these folks are refocusing on the small scale. And one breakout session I attended was led by Shannon Martin, who describes herself as a mom, wife, and neighbor living in Goshen, Indiana. Who's been to Goshen? <laughs> there you go. I, well, of course it would be Mary Carol if anybody had been to Goshen. There's lots of Mennonites there. Um, she's also written some books, including The Ministry of Ordinary Places, Waking Up to God's Goodness Around You. And that was sort of the theme of her talk. It was all themed around Jesus in the neighborhood. You know, a few years ago, Martin, her husband, a prison chaplain, and their three kids intentionally moved into what you might call a rougher neighborhood in Goshen. It was a, it's a city of about, roughly about 35,000 uh, people, and not a whole lot bigger than Courtney. Uh, they felt a call to live in a place where others might consider God-forsaken, to bring God's blessing to that place. And once there, they decided to join whatever church was the closest. Well, they were used to big evangelical churches, 
crawling with young people, hip pastors and lots of members. She describes this traditional Methodist church as decidedly uncool. There were no children, and most of their members were in their 80s, and the sanctuary seemed empty on most Sundays. Constantly dwindling membership with money and volunteers and a sense of pride in short supply. I mean, who'd be crazy enough to see God at work in such a lame, limited group of people in a church that could barely afford their quarter-time pastor? Why stick around? The real important action was clearly elsewhere. But you know, they did stick around. Partially due to the fact that they and their children were completely doted upon when they showed up, but also because over time God started to do some surprising things in this little church. Across the street from the church is a work release center. This is a county corrections facility housing convicted offenders as an alternative to prison and a way back to transition into ordinary life. Each person has a bunk and a locker in the facility and they're highly monitored and rarely allowed to leave and really only allowed to leave for work, errands, for doctor's appointments, for the dentist, etc. But they're also allowed to leave for church. And lo and behold, over time, some of them started showing up at Martin's church. If anything, for some, it was an excuse to spend a Sunday morning in somewhere other than, you know, something resembling a concrete hostel. Uh, the most uncool church sanctuary beats the comfiest prison cell any day. If there's anything that we could all agree upon, <laughs> it's that. And these are folks who often have a history of crime and violence, little by the way of social graces. And for a congregation made up of mostly of older, more conservative white people, you can imagine some trepidation at the prospect of welcoming uh, black and Hispanic folks with criminal records and the occasional tattoo on their face on Sunday. But the congregation met these strange visitors with the same grace they met Martin and her family with when they too showed up as strangers. And over time, Martin says, folks from the work release program have grown the congregation, sometimes representing more than half of the people showing up on a given Sunday. And she talks about how once a month church members line up to sign papers verifying the work, the work, that the work release members are where they said that they would be on Sunday. So, you know, they, they have kind of the, you know, they have a table up front. So kind of like how we come together at communion, they all come forward to sign these, uh, these uh, X or these soon-to-be ex-cons papers uh, so they don't get thrown back in prison. And... You know, these folks have become leaders and helpers, integral parts of their congregation. They have a community and a family where elsewhere it would be in short supply. And the thing is that they were not doing anything particularly special. They're gathering for worship and Bible study, fellowship in the form of church potlucks, and, you know, some pretty weak coffee, too. You know, I just had to show, this is the picture here, I just had to show a couple of these photos that she shared and you know you can see on the, the left hand side one is members uh, praying for someone on work release as they face some really difficult decisions 
And the other is a couple work release members serving Holy Communion to some real, you know, I would say real old school church ladies. Um, So just like in Acts, you've got the breaking of bread and the prayers. Some people are identifying as old school church ladies. As I speak, I can tell. You know, you got to be old school. You know, old school's good. That's what the kids say these days, anyway. <laughs> no choice. <laughs> but from the outside, it doesn't look like much, this church. It doesn't look like much at all. But this community is proof that salvation is, more often than not, small scale. Small scale. Just like in the early church, the book of Acts through the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and the prayers, the Holy Spirit is drawing them together and healing lives. Healing people that would never be together if they had their choice in day-to-day life. Creating a whole new community, a whole new family where there wasn't one before. Holding all things in common, you know. They're holding, some people are holding their freedom and their freedom in common with people who are incarcerated. Sharing life together. Day to day, the Lord is adding to the number of those being saved in that church. Believe it or not, through them, God is at work redeeming and reclaiming the whole world. This salvation may be small scale, but this is how the God we meet in Jesus Christ makes all things new. Now, you know, we've got a couple pictures of folks from our own church, both from our Easter vigil. I mean, like I said, there wasn't 3,000 baptisms, but there was nine, you know. You can probably guess where I'm going with this. On my holiday, you know, I attended a mega church with tons of people, money, beautiful building, you know, 12 staff, Incredible production values, you know. I felt so jealous. I felt like, oh man, how can we like raise up some money and then, you know, uh, have some smoke machines and some lasers and, uh, and then maybe God would, you know, yeah. But you know, Martin's church and this scripture were a great reminder to me that the same claim, the same promise in the books, book, book of Acts is here. It's for here. It's for you. It's for me. And it's for us. God here in this place. Jesus among us. The Holy Spirit's power for life. Believe it or not, we're the sort of church, we're the sort of stuff that Jesus builds his kingdom with. And I mean, what if we actually believe that? You know, what if we instead of looking at the big megachurch and think, thinking, oh man, we sure fall short of that, but looking at what God has given us and truly believing that God is at work redeeming the whole world in and through us in this place. What if we actually believe that? What a difference it would make, you know, 
way of Jesus is built upon some pretty big claims. It starts with the story of the creator and the universe, creator of the universe, who was made flesh, died for the sins of the world, rose from the dead to, to free it, reigning from the right seat of the heavenly throne, giving us access to this power by his own spirit, but it doesn't end there. And you'd think that this power would be unleashed in feats of enormous strength, power, and influence. But in the book of Acts, the book of Acts teaches us with evidence and testimony from our own experiences right here and further testimony from brothers and sisters in places like Goshen, Indiana, that this power, God's power, the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in the small places, the forgotten places, and among forgotten people, where two or three are gathered in Christ's name. He is there. He is there, and he is here. Where the good news of grace, first proclaimed by the apostles, is shared, the bread of life is broken, and prayers are spoken, there the creator of the universe promises to be working miracles where there is hopelessness, delivering forgiveness where there is shame, creating community where there is loneliness, abundance where there is need through glad and generous hearts. He is there, and he is here. If we have eyes to see. If we have the eyes to see. Small scale salvation. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we have heard the old, old story of your creation, of your mighty acts and miracles, your atoning death, death-shattering resurrection, and the fire and wind of your spirit. We confess, O oh Lord, that on account of this, we look for you in the large scale of life, in parades and political campaigns, in viral videos, and in mega projects. And yet, O oh Lord, you are the God who meets us face to face in your word and at your table through the waters of baptism and over coffee and in the broken hearts and bodies of each other and our neighbors. Give us faith, O oh Lord, to see you are at work right here and now that you have brought us together not as the judgmental righteous, but as sinners in need of your grace. That you have brought us together to fill us with awe, to perform the signs and wonders of your salvation, your healing, your forgiveness, your hope, your courage, your presence, your peace. Teach us, fellowship with us, break bread and pray with us. Make sure there is no one in need among us by giving us glad and generous hearts. Save us in the small scale, we pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit, and add to, our, add to the number of those being saved day by day by day. We pray all these things 
in the name of Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you in the power of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please stand for a hymn of the day, <coughs> a servant song, We Are Pilgrims. 